Time magazine called him the unsung hero behind the internet. CNN called him a father of the internet. President Bill Clinton called him one of the great minds of the information age. He has been voted history's greatest scientist of African descent. He is Philip Emigwali. He's coming to Trinidad and Tobago to launch the 2008 Kwame Ture Lecture Series on Sunday, June 8th at the JFK Auditorium, Newey St. Augustine, 5 p.m. The Emancipation Support Committee invites you to come and hear this inspirational mind address the theme, Crossing New Frontiers to Conquer Today's Challenges. This lecture is one you cannot afford to miss. Admission is free, so be there on Sunday, June 8th, 5 p.m. at the JFK Auditorium, Newey St. Augustine. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Philip Emagwale. I began programming supercomputers on June 20, 1974, in Covalis, Oregon, United States. I began supercomputing with one of the world's fastest supercomputers that was at 1800 Southwest Campus Way, Covalis, Oregon, United States. That supercomputer was the first to be rated at 1 million instructions per second. As a 19-year-old supercomputer programmer, I felt like a small boy that was in charge of a big ocean liner that turns slowly. Three weeks after I began programming supercomputers, I was on the cover of a newspaper that circulated in the cities of Monmouth and Independence, Oregon. I became a local celebrity. Over the years, I realized that in Africa, a breakthrough technology is a sacred object. The African that invents a groundbreaking technology can occupy the position between Albert Einstein and Nelson Mandela and occupy that position in the minds of Africans at home and in the diaspora. That African inventor is invited to sit on the African high table. The invention of the fastest supercomputer is a concrete and visible achievement that everybody understands as pushing the frontier of technology as well as the boundary of human knowledge. The act of inventing is the courage to try the untrue, untried. Everything I invented changed me. I was never the same person after an invention. Before 1989, the year I experimentally discovered massively parallel processing, I was described as a research mathematician. 
or a research physicist. After I experimentally discovered massively parallel processing, I was redefined as a research supercomputer scientist. But it took me 16 years, onward of June 20, 1974, to be mentioned in the June 20, 1990 issue of the Wall Street Journal and to become a supercomputer scientist that invented a new supercomputer. It took me 16 years of dedication, discipline, and unpaid hard work to become a supercomputer inventor that is the subject of school reports. On the 4th of July of 1989, I experimentally discovered how and why parallel processing makes computers faster and makes supercomputers fastest. Since that discovery, I really don't know what I should or was best known for. The inventor is a prisoner of his invention and somewhat need an outsider to fully explain his invention to him. Back in 1974, I had a blurry vision of the parallel processing supercomputer that is a new internet de facto and that is, a, that is not a new computer per se that I invented in the 1980s. I needed the distance in time and space to gain clarity and understand that I am the only father of the internet that invented a new internet. A story in the June 14, 1976 issue of the Computer World magazine was titled, quote, Research in Parallel Processing Questioned as Waste of Time, unquote. To the Computer World magazine, to invent parallel processing was to show that massively parallel processing the toughest problems in supercomputing is not a waste of time. I was in the news in 1989 because I experimentally discovered how to save time and how to do so by reducing 65,536 days or 180 years of time to solution on one processor that is not a member of an ensemble of processors and reducing that time to only one day of time to solution across an ensemble of 65,536 processors that we are the building blocks of a new supercomputer. 
that experimental discovery was recognized in the June 20, 1990 issue of the Wall Street Journal. The achievement was recognized because I experimentally discovered that the impossible to compute is, in fact, possible to compute. At the granite core of my experimental discovery that occurred at 10.15 a.m. New York time, Tuesday, the 4th of July of 1989, the U.S. Independence Day, was my one-to-one -one mapping of my 65,536 initial boundary value problems of modern mathematics and computational physics and my mapping of those problems to as many commodity of the shelf processors that defined and outlined a new internet. Prior to that experimental discovery, of the 4th of July of 1989, the mechanism by which 64 binary thousand computational physics codes were synchronously emailed to as many processors remained unknown. That experimental discovery of the 4th of July of 1989 put to rest the saying that Parallel processing is a beautiful theory that lacked experimental confirmation. It takes eight minutes to describe how I mapped eight initial boundary value problems of modern calculus and computational physics and mapped them onto eight processors that we are a subset of the 64 binary thousand processors that I visualized as evenly distributed across a small copy of the internet that enshrouded a small globe. At that rate of 8 minutes for 8 processors, it will take me 10,000 lectures to describe how I experimentally mapped two to power 16 processors across a new internet that's a global network of 65,536 processors. Looking back from June 20, 1974 in Corvallis, Oregon, United States, my long search for what makes computers faster and for what makes supercomputers fastest was like going into the Sambisa forest of northern Nigeria alone and in search for the elusive Chibok girls that were held hostage by Boko Haram fighters. Parallel processing was the holy grail and the Chibok girls of supercomputing Searching for the fastest parallel processing supercomputer was like walking at night and along an uncharted road in the Sambisa forest of northern Nigeria and doing so armed against Boko Haram fighters with only a small lantern.
as we struggle to solve the grand challenges of massively parallel processing supercomputing, we reveal more grand challenges such as quantum computing. On the 4th of July of 1989, I experimentally discovered parallel processing and therefore nobody else can experimentally discover parallel processing again. What was overlooked in the news headlines was that my world record speed of 3.1 billion calculations per second in 1989 was verified by the Computer Society of the IEEE, the largest society of computer professionals. My world's fastest calculation was verified as evenly spread across 65,536 commodity processors or CPUs, with each CPU contributing 47,303 calculations per second. The 4th of July of 1989, the U.S. Independence Day, was the day I experimentally discovered the world's fastest computation and discovered it across a massively parallel processing supercomputer that is the precursor to the modern supercomputer of today that hopefully will become the computer of tomorrow. There are three methods that I could use to decompose the oil field that my petroleum reservoir simulation represented to experimentally discover the fastest computation across my ensemble of processors demanded that I achieve a one-to-one -one nearest neighbor mapping of my 64 binary thousand initial boundary value problems to my as many commodity processors. In my first method, called slab decomposition, I divided my three-dimensional oil field into 65,536 one-dimensional slabs or oil blocks. In my second method, called pencil decomposition, I divided my three-dimensional oil field into 65,536 two-dimensional pencils or oil blocks. In my third method, called block decomposition, I divided my three-dimensional oil field into 65,536 three-dimensional oil blocks. This analogy represents what we knew about parallel processing during the early 1970s. What I believed in the 1970s was that my email must travel across 65,530 processors to be delivered to a processor that's five processors apart. My 1970s thinking was that if I try to send and receive 65,000 
536 emails at once that I will fail in sending them all. And as I intellectually matured as a research mathematician and as a research supercomputer scientist, I discovered that a computer screen comprising of 256 by 256 pixels or 65,536 cells can be coded with secularity in lay person's terms. Secularity means that the lower edge, lower edge of the screen touches the upper edge of the screen. That secularity occurs when the right side of the screen touches the left side of the screen. I coded secularity into my email messaging in the 16th dimension, not in the two dimensions that I described. But I applied the same concept of secularity in the 16th dimension, and I did so in part to enable me to record previously unrecorded speeds in floating-point arithmetical calculations. That secularity was in the granite core of my world's fastest calculation that was hard around the world. My experimental discovery of massively parallel processing was the news headlines because I recorded the world's fastest calculation and I recorded it by solving 65,536 problems at once. That experimental discovery of a new supercomputer made the news headlines in 1989 and it was recorded in the June 20, 1990 issue of the Wall Street Journal and was in the June 27, 1990 issue of the Chronicle of Higher Education, the publication that distributes news to universities. When I began scalar supercomputing on June 20, 1974 in Covalis, Oregon, United States, scalar processing or the one-step-at-a-time serial computer approach was the frontier of knowledge of supercomputers. In 1974, vector processing was the next generation technology for supercomputers. In 1974, parallel processing or solving many problems at once instead of solving them one by one was an unknown land to all supercomputer scientists. In the 1970s, parallel processing was embroiled in controversies and countless ridiculing statements were made about the technology. I was not surprised when my first lecture on massively parallel processing had only one attendee. That lecture was in November 1982 in an auditorium 
that was a short walk from the White House in Washington, D.C. That attendee was an eccentric-looking mid-30s white male in cowboy regalia that included cowboy boots, a bolo tie, and a Texan hat. The second reason my lecture on massively parallel processing drew only one attendee was that it was known in advance that I was young and black that was unpublished and unproven. White male scientists who began conducting research before I was born are not likely to listen to the discoveries of a young black African scientific researcher that was unpublished and unproven. In the early 1980s, the theoretical analysis of extreme-scale computational physics codes didn't meet up to publication standards and were off-handedly rejected. It was until the 4th of July of 1989 that I could experimentally prove that massively parallel processing works. To those white scientists, I was trespassing in a space, a technological terra incognita that wasn't mine. My discovery story was rejected because it wasn't their discovery story. To many white historians of science, a black inventor is a myth until he becomes a white inventor. I've sat for a published portrait in which the white illustrator portrayed me as a white inventor and did so to make me acceptable to his white readers. When I gave my lectures in 1982, the massively parallel processing supercomputer was ridiculed by everybody. A story in the June 14, 1976 issue of the Computer World magazine was captured. Quote, research in parallel processing questioned as waste of time. Unquote. My supercomputing quest was to make the fictional factual. I began supercomputing from the realm of science fiction. I began supercomputing from the realm of a fictionalized 2 to power 16 processors that were married together as one cohesive internet and married by 16 times. 2 to power 16 email wires that encircled a globe in a 16-dimensional hyperspace. I began supercomputing on Thursday, June 20, 1974 in Corvallis, Oregon, United States. I began supercomputing not as a supercomputer scientist but as a mathematician that was more at home with non-Euclidean geometry and topology than with a single processor. I began supercomputing as a mathematical physicist that was exposed to the four-dimensional space-time continuum of Albert Einstein's 
theory of relativity. Because I began supercomputing from theoretical physics, I found it easier to accept extra-dimensional thinking that was then taboo in engineering science. My technological quest for massively parallel processing that makes computers faster and makes supercomputers fastest demanded that I think in 16 dimensions. My quest for the new supercomputer knowledge that will make the new supercomputer fastest demanded that I imagine a one-to-one correspondence between the bidirectional edges of the cube in the 16th dimension and the 16 times 2 to power 16 email wires of my new internet that encircled a globe that I visualized in the 16th dimension. Also, my quest for the new knowledge that will make the new internet that is a new supercomputer fastest demanded that I imagine and then that I visualize another one-to-one correspondence between the 2 to power 16 vertices of the cube in the 16th dimension. Since I was programming all 65,536 processors and programming them blindfolded, I had to correctly visualize where each processor was located in my 16th dimension and located with respect to the other processors. I imagined my ensemble as one cohesive supercomputer that's a parallel processing machine that's de facto a small copy of the internet. That new internet was a small copy of a never-before-understood internet that had only 65,536 processors around a globe instead of billions of computers around a globe. In the 1970s, my parallel processing machine was science fiction. The belief that the technology was science fiction gave rise to the saying, parallel processing is a beautiful theory that lacked experimental confirmation. A theory is an idea that's not positively true. Yet, the 16th dimensional that sounded like science fiction to the petroleum engineer of the 1970s that explores oil and gas in the everyday three-dimensional world also sounds like fact to a mathematician used to thinking in the infinite dimensional subspaces. The 16th dimensional that sounded like a science fiction to the computational physicist of the 1970s also sounds like a fact 
to a theoretical physicist that routinely imagines multi-dimensional string theory or multi-universes or universes with different laws of physics. I was a civil engineer, an engineering physicist who helped operate dams, reservoirs, and power plants that were along the North Platte River of Wyoming, United States. That intellectual difference between the theoretical physicist and the practical engineer made it easier for me, Philip Emayagwale, that was both a theoretical physicist and a practical engineer, to change the way I thought we could make new supercomputers faster. It's often forgotten that parallel human computing was discovered in the early 1940s, shortly after the Second World War. Parallel human computing was used to crudely solve ordinary differential equations governing the motions of projectiles. In the early 1940s, ballistic computations were executed by 150 women, each a human computer that computed in parallel or computed 150 things at a time instead of computing only one thing at a time. Those 150 female human computers computed to solve an ordinary differential equation of calculus. That ordinary differential equation encoded the second law of motion of physics. Those 150 human computers computed in parallel and computed six days a week and computed for the Ballistic Research Laboratory in Aberdeen Proving Ground, Aberdeen, Maryland, that's 26 miles outside Baltimore, Maryland. In early 1987, I declined a job offer to program vector processing supercomputers at Aberdeen Proving Ground, the birthplace of the supercomputer. I declined that job offer because I was at the brink of completing my research that made the news headlines as the experimental discovery of massively parallel supercomputing. I declined that job offer in part because Baltimore, Maryland is the hometown of my parents-in-law. They were university trained but we are prevented by U.S. segregation laws of the 1940s from applying for computer programming jobs at Aberdeen Proving Ground. Black American scientists of the generation of my father were prevented from contributing to the development of the computer. The denial to black supercomputer scientists of the opportunity to contribute to the development of the computer and to conduct research at the frontier of the supercomputer is a terminal illness for American science and technology. When I began supercomputing in 1974, the segregation law 
had been abolished in the United States, which made it possible for me to contribute to the development of the fastest supercomputer. My contribution to the development of the modern supercomputer did not only reside in seeing my new internet and in seeing the technology as a global network of 65,536 processors and did not only reside in seeing each processor with my biological eyes. I saw my new internet inside my mind and I saw the technology as a new supercomputer that was de facto a new internet. It was my being the first person that saw the technology as a new internet that proved that I invented the technology. I was the first discoverer because I was the lone wolf research massively parallel processing supercomputer scientist of the 1970s and 80s. I was the first discoverer because I took a parallel processing supercomputer part that was orthogonal to the vector processing supercomputer part that was taken by 20, the 25,000 vector processing supercomputer scientists of the 1980s. I was a research physicist of the 1970s that was not searching for new laws of physics per se. I was a research mathematician in College Park, Maryland that was not searching for new partial differential equations per se. And I was a research computer scientist in supercomputer centers across the United States that was not searching for new computer algorithms per se. On the contrary, my unorthodox quest was for a new supercomputer that is a new internet that is defined and outlined by a global network of 65,536 commodity processors. My technological quest was for the fastest supercomputer and for how to reduce 65,536 days or 108 years of time to solution on only one processor that is not a member of an ensemble of processors and how to reduce it to just one day of time to solution across a new supercomputer that is a new internet and that is defined as a global network of 65,536 processors. I experimentally discovered that the 32 bidirectional email wires that delivered emails to and from each of those 65,000 
536 commodity processors can deliver the fastest processor-to-processor -processor emails and deliver them across a global network of 1,048,576 bidirectional email wires and deliver them as many times faster than a singular processor-to-processor -processor email. That experimental discovery redefined my new supercomputer as a new super-internet. In the 1970s and 80s, I imagined my ensemble of 65,536 commodity off-the-shelf processors as one cohesive new supercomputer that's a parallel processing machine that's de facto a small copy of a new internet. That new internet was a small copy of a never-before-understood internet that had only 65,536 processors around a globe instead of billions of computers around a globe. For me, Philip M. Aguale, to discover a new supercomputer and to discover its technology inside a new internet was my act of harnessing that untapped total supercomputer power that was buried in the 16th dimension and buried inside the bowels of an ensemble of 2 to power 16 commodity of the shelf processors that were married together as a new internet that sends and receives emails across 16 times 2 to power 16 bidirectional email wires. To discover a new supercomputer that is de facto a new internet is the act of experimentally discovering how to always execute the world's fastest computations and execute them across a global network of processors. That experimental discovery is my contribution to the development of the modern supercomputer that is a new internet. Insightful and brilliant lecture.